the still point of eternity might be perfectly named as La Serenissima, the beautiful Italian name for Venice. She who is the most serene, the one who is the most serene. From the still point of eternity arises time and space of heaven. Time and space embodied in one as grace. Blessed life, protected, guided, one. This is our signature. <clears throat> this is who one is. How then do we find our way to embody the principle of that dewdrop of God within us? So that humbly, truly, in dignity, we become a student, praying and practicing this all moments, all breaths of our lives. Well, <clears throat> when we arise from within that place, in the moment, we feel a gap. What next? Or what here? Or what is out there? What is other than this still point? We immediately cause ourselves to lose the still point, to try to anticipate the lack of the still point that must be coming. And then we turn to our history to justify that there must be evil coming, there must be shadow coming, there must be something other than goodness coming. There must be something that's going to take us even farther from heaven and what we forgot when we were conceived and born. We, we think there must be a fall of grace, a fall from grace, a fall into something I don't want. And we have a massive tantrum justifying that heaven does not exist, that we can't possibly live in the still point of eternity within ourselves because we just can't. <clears throat> because we feel when we're in the still point of eternity, the arising of life into the next breath. And the first experience of that is a, is a quality of the entire cosmos. It's called, in Himalayan studies, the void. And until we go through fundamental movements of enlightenment, all of our perceptions say to us, the void is empty and dark, terrifying. And we do everything in our power to stay physically alive in our temporal bodies, including our physical body. <clears throat> and we hold on to that with our mind as an armor against everything that might make us go into the void because we, we think surely it can't be safe for someone like me out there, I mean, I'm nothing. Or I'll create so much vanity that I'll think I'm everything, and then I really can't go out there because I have to define how, how much everything I am. Greed, power. And then we're in a conundrum because we go farther and farther from the signature of who we are in eternity and in this moment and every moment. 
And we await someone <clears throat> resilient enough in grace to be unafraid of our arrogance and our fear, who simply is not leaving that place within themselves, the still point of eternity within their heart of hearts in God. And when we sit with them, if we're fortunate enough to find them, much falls away from us. So much falls away. Oh, what do they want? Where are they going? What are they doing? <clears throat> We're like a wild animal trying to flee. Surely they must be a predator. What are they going to do to me? Where am I going? Many times we simply try to flee or justify that <clears throat> this is surely not enough for me. And yet, whenever we're touched by a being from that place where the still point of eternity is quite aware within them and tended within them, we have in us a permission to awaken, to allow ourselves to remember and be and become in the next breath, this child of eternity, this son or daughter or person of God. So if you come to that place in the heart, the still point of eternity in the center of the depth of the heart, you'll find that most of your past is justifying your suffering. And one studies the experiences one has had that armored one against awakening or that very popularly now uses awakening as a concept of protection and self-importance against humility and vulnerability out in the world. So if you allow the past and the future not to really fall away, but rather to be a map <clears throat> of the safety of grace, the still point of the heart starts to line up again. Oh, my alignment. Not too much mercy. Not too much strength. Rather, coming to the still point of the heart and praying and practicing from the remembrance of grace in my life. Oh, the moment when my great aunt sent a beautiful letter to me as a little child, too young to read, astonished that an elder would write a letter to Betsy, sitting and having the letter read to me by my mother and father from my great aunt Beatrice. <clears throat> Your great uncle Arthur and I have been in Mexico, telling me over three pages the experiences of humanity, the beauty of the journey, the flowers. And here I have enclosed for you a small charm. It has an anchor. She didn't tell me what the anchor meant. My parents explained, well, as a person in the Christian faith, this stands for faith. 
and then a small heart. And this symbol, this stands for love. And then another symbol, a small bird, and this stands for hope. My great aunt Beatrice was writing to me from a place within her which has never left me. I've spoken before of remembering meeting her and meeting my great uncle Arthur for the first time when I was a tiny baby and knowing, absolutely knowing, these people are so important for me. I knew this is so important that we're all together in this beautiful day with my parents, my older brother Michael, in our living room in our home in Corning, New York. They had brought Easter candy, European Easter candy, sitting on our table, wrapped in cellophane. The physical experience of the chairs and the floor, the coffee table on which they set the gifts, the coffee my mother served all the adults. There wasn't a weapon in the room. <clears throat> there was only the embodiment of heaven in prayer and practice of human life that day. Every moment of my life in concordance with my great aunt and uncle is a continuation of that from the past of my infancy to the present of my life as a young elder and bequeathed to each of you. We are that. We are all together with my parents, <clears throat> my older brother, my great aunt and uncle, studying all of the holidays of our cultural traditions. How might we pray and practice that all the ways we have studied God in all his names, all her names, all that great one's names, even the secular concepts of the divine amidst the scientists and the youth of today. How shall we pray or aspire in virtue, ranging out not just from the brilliance of the mind of a scientist or a great poet or painter, or statesman or woman, or person, but ranging out from the still point of eternity in the heart of hearts. Then we are students of God. Then our hearts, in a singular individual way, as varied collectives of couples and families and regions of our world and nations and continents, and as a universal principle awakened to become a civilization of remembrance. I remember a moment of grace. That is the map of my next breath. Then God and I, based on the map which has shaped me by grace, will know what to do in this breath, into the next breath, and the next breath, into eternity. As one dwells from this place, 
what happens from the inside out <clears throat> is the outer armoring. I dress like this. I think like this. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is where my life wasn't safe in the past. So I'm going to base everything I do on what was not safe to try to conquer the world or conquer my life, or conquer you. Everything projected out from too much mercy and too much strength and a projected identity that's not real. It's called Maya, M-A-Y-A, M as in Mary, A-Y-A, Maya, or illusion. The part of us that is not in touch with the reality of who we are or what's actually going on. All of that that's projected out starts to dissolve as from the inside out, the heart of hearts out through all that we are. We embody that still point of eternity as mercy and strength in alignment, embodied and expressed. This is who I am, beyond all weapons. Oh, I am protected through the mercy and strength of heaven. I am thought through the mercy and strength and intelligence of heaven beyond all weapons. Oh, what shall we be and do, you and I, together, representing this? How did we not know this before? How did we trick ourselves or betray ourselves, one nation against another, one world leader or religious leader against another, rather than becoming the communion or the prayers of men and women side by side, how did we not know to enter the mystery of this breath, this moment, from the past moments of grace into the next moment of grace fulfilled? That next moment is pregnant with the divine blessing upon all that one is, and all that the person beside one is. There's a story I've told often of the Panchen Lama, who <clears throat> is the occupier of one of the three major traditions in the Himalayan Buddhist pantheon of Tibet, parts of Mongolia and Mustang. And in the late 1950s, <clears throat> when there was a political argument between China and Tibet over government and ideologies. The person holding the position of the Dalai Lama had already fled into India. The person of the Karmapa had already fled into Europe and America and other areas of the world. And the person who was the Panchen Lama came across the border of India and came to meet Tenzin Gyatso, who was the current Dalai Lama. He's still alive in his late 80s now as we speak. 
and he sought sanctuary. And the Dalai Lama stated to him, if you will surrender to me, I will give you sanctuary. And the Panchalama said, no, I can't do that. And he turned and went back into China, into Tibet, a province that's now been taken over politically at this time by the Chinese. And he was imprisoned and kept in prison for several years and finally released and died of a heart attack about a year later, I believe. But he was able to go back to his desecrated monastery and write the different stupas and um, devotional areas of the, of the monastery and temple grounds <clears throat> to um, try to bring them back into prayer from the sacrilege of how they'd been desecrated by weapons and broken apart and urinated on and made fun of. And he wept, he's known to have wept, and then he died of a heart attack in that next year. But during the period when he was imprisoned, his guard would have to be replaced on a regular level because he was living according to the principle I'm speaking of here. And when he came into India, and would not take refuge in Tenzin Gyatso. It goes back about 500 years to an argument among the, the three chairs of those faith traditions when the position of Dalai Lama was created by uh, the Chinese government at that time. If that figure at that time would acquiesce so that military control could be taken over Tibet, and that person given the most important position. And so the Karmapa and the Pajan Lama at that time were unaware of this happening until it happened. And then there's been an argument among the three traditions in a manner since. So on this day, let us all say that we go beyond the argument among the three traditions in Himalayan Buddhism. <clears throat> and the argument which called this into fighting from the leaders of China at that time. May Premier Xi, Tenzin Gyatso, Ogin Trinley Dorje, Tai Trinley Dorje. And they're considered to be two incarnations of the Pajan Lama, a young man named Christopher, an American, young college student, and one who's been hidden away in China since his incarnation was introduced or announced a number of years ago. May all of these beings, through my breath, and their own breath, and your breath, dwell completely in the still point of eternity. Then in that vulnerability of the next moment, the veritable tree of life arises all around the world. Oh, like this. Holy family a great forest of souls arising aligned. Mercy, strength, beyond all weapons. The history of Lao Tzu in the mountains of China, listening to the rushing waterfall, just like a Chinese painting John and I have hanging in our bedroom on a scroll that I turn and look at every morning. It's painted in Chinese ink of black and gray and white. 
It's very beautiful to me. The wind rushing in Lao Tzu's ears. Is in nature, he would move, teaching us the flow of life, always from this point in the best of his ability in prayer and practice. Thank you, Lao Tzu, as one of our ancestors of humankind. And Confucius, called the ancestor in China, considered to be the ancestor of all of the Eastern Asian people. Confucius, however, you were able to represent virtue, that we are to respect and honor our fathers, our mothers, our elders, that we are to care for our siblings, our vulnerable, our young. Whatever the still point in eternity is which expressed itself in Confucius, Historically, that all of humankind might find in these two men who were peers, oh, in the space between them, there were no weapons. How do we not know to study this relationship? And of the women around them who rendered this possible in the formless principle of their hearts and wombs together. Ah, the still point of eternity in every daughter sister, wife, companion, friend, colleague, mother, matriarch. May this be born out of the void of heaven, which is always full of the light and sound and manifestation through the human heart of hearts for all of humankind from this breath and moment, always forward, a global civilization into eternity, balance.